This is Power Players with Dan Clark. This is a podcast interview with University of Utah football star Cole Bishop. Welcome to Power Players with Dan Clark, former athlete, Hall of Fame speaker, New York Times bestselling author, and high-performance business coach, where each week I bring you an inspiring message from an extraordinary human being who will share their secrets on how you can tap into your personal power to become everything you were born to be. Thank you so much for spending some time with me today. In this episode, University of Utah football star Cole Bishop, the superstar sophomore safety who started in lacrosse and football at Stars Mill High School in Georgia, who was all-region and all-county as a sophomore, first-team all-state as a junior, and all-county and region MVP, invited to play in the Blue-Gray All-American Bowl, who happens to love wakeboarding, snowboarding, and golfing in the offseason, shares why he committed to playing at the University of Utah his junior year in high school without even taking a recruiting trip to visit Utah, giving us an inside glimpse into what it really takes to become a starter as a true freshman on the Pac-12 championship team, earning all-conference honorable mention his freshman year, playing an elite level every game on every play, leading all Pac-12 secondary players, averaging 5.8 tackles per game. This podcast interview is brought to you by Strong Automotive, family-owned, community-focused, and one of the major sponsors of the University of Utah football program. Welcome to the show, good brother. Thank you for having me. Glad to be here. Um, you know, there's some gentlemen in our world who are handsome, and then there's those few select men who are pretty. <laughs> I didn't know I was going to be interviewing an Abercrombie model, man. We got to get some NIL money going, if nothing else, from a, from a modeling agency. So, Cole Bishop, you grew up in Georgia. Were you born in Massachusetts? Grew up in Georgia, and that's why you love lacrosse, I suppose, because that's a northeastern sport, maybe more popular than football. Take us back to your youth, will you? Yeah. So, uh, I was born in Massachusetts in the Boston area. I lived there till I was about two. My family grew up there their whole lives, so you know we're big Patriots fans and Red Sox, Bruins. And then when I was about two, we moved to Georgia. Pretty much lived there my whole life since then. Uh, started playing football when I was about five years old. Been playing my whole life, and then a few years later, I ended up picking up lacrosse. Honestly, just because one of my friends played. And then I ended up playing that. I wasn't too. It was more of a because so, I took football so serious. That was more just for fun and having a good time but I got pretty good at it so I liked playing that a lot and yeah you know I had a really good friend who went to a rival university here while I was playing football and baseball at the University of Utah he was playing lacrosse and I'd never seen it I went to a practice they gave me a uh, one of those little net stick deals (laughs) that you catch the ball with and I could catch it but to run with it and then to throw it with accuracy that takes a lot of talent and when I was out there, I, I had one of the, the, the more brutal collisions in my life as a contact sport athlete. Uh, lacrosse is no sissy game, so the footwork, the eye-hand coordination, the strategies, that had to play into be, becoming one of, the, one of the elite defensive backs in the Pac-12. Yeah, I definitely think, you know, in the offseason, being able to keep playing another sport that allows you to, I mean, it's similar to guarding a receiver in some cases, just backpedaling, staying with them, trying to stay square, and then 
just being able to do that when I'm not playing football definitely really helped me, I feel like. So what advice would you give to parents listening in where most high school college, I mean high school coaches or maybe even middle school coaches want athletes to just segregate themselves away from any other sport and just focus in on one sport, the one sport athlete when you played both ways. I'm old enough to have played both ways. Um, teach us about what you just mentioned briefly about lacrosse, about opportunities for coaches who are recruiting to see you in, in other sports so they can see your agility. You know, as a defensive back, you've got to be able to go as fast left and right as you do north and south. And Maybe that's where you started to perfect your skills. Some of the greatest receivers that I ever coached in high school played Little League soccer at the highest level. And they just, they were like cats. You know, their, their balance was a little different than most who only played football. Mm-hmm. What would you recommend? Yeah, I think having another sport, whether that's one or two, regardless of what it is, definitely helps out, you know. Even just for the aspect of having fun, too. You know, you only get to play it once, so you might as well play as many sports as you can because like my junior year, I almost quit lacrosse just because I was trying to focus on football. I was trying to go to camps and try to get as many offers as I could to make the decision I wanted to. But my coach ended up convincing me to play, and then I was happy I did. Unfortunately, it got uh, cut out because of COVID. But I think it definitely helped me in the football aspect just because you're not getting so stiff in the regular movements that you only do in football. You know, you can't do – you can't stay as fluid if all you do is just one position your whole life. Yeah, I remember going from football to basketball, and I was in great shape for football and lousy shape for basketball. You used to be completely different parts of my body, I guess. You too, right? Yeah, that's exactly how it happened. We'd get done with football season, and we'd go straight into lacrosse, and I'd be dying right away just because you're running back and forth without the breaks, really. Absolutely. So tell us about growing up. <clears throat> was your dad uh, a football player? Were your, were your parents athletic? Did they support you and really encourage you, or did you just kind of find yourself by yourself? My dad didn't play football, but he's a huge football fan, and he encouraged it since I was since as long as I can remember. You know, even when I was a kid, he was always trying to get me to do extra work and stuff. And at the time, I wasn't the biggest fan of it. And even towards the end of high school, I was still it'd get annoying sometimes. But you know, looking back, it's definitely helped me the most. Just being able to be, just like, get better at certain things that I wouldn't necessarily do by myself. So, did your family encourage you to be a student athlete, or just go? I almost said balls to the wall, but I can't say that. But I just <laughs> did. Just just be an athlete, focused athlete, or or were they really emphasizing, you know, education? You're so smart. You're uh, you're so articulate. I honor you, bro. So talk to us about the influence your fa- your family, your parents, your brother had on your on your on your athletic on your athletic and student athletic uh, career. Yeah. So they definitely wanted me to take school seriously. I had. Pretty good grades in high school, all A's and B's for the most part. And then I uh, was committed to Duke at one point in high school, and the big part of that was the academics. You know, they weren't the best football team, obviously, but a big part of my recruitment was just trying to go to a school that I can get a really good degree from just because you never know what happens after football. You never know how far you can go with it. But the more I looked at it, it was just kind of I wanted to take football as serious as I could, but I still did take school seriously. I mean, my brother, he just graduated from Georgia Tech. So, and he didn't play football. He was a student, and he majored in industrial engineering. So he was, he was really smart. So they always tried to push me to be smart like him in the classroom. So when you grew up in Georgia, did you suddenly become an Atlanta Braves fan, an Atlanta Hawks fan? 
Fortunately, no. All my, <laughs> pretty much all my friends are Hawks, Braves, Falcons fans, and yeah. you know it was one of the best times. I think I was in middle school, maybe when the Patriots beat them in the Super the Falcons when they oh, came yeah. back. It might have been early high school, but remember they were all excited because they were beating us, and then we ended up coming back, and that was awesome. So growing up, who did you idolize uh, as an athlete? Uh, I really liked Rodney Harrison. He was a uh, safety for the Patriots, and he was a really physical player. And he ended up playing safety for the Falcons too, didn't he? I did not know that. In the Super Bowl, I think he did. Okay. And then another guy, Eric Weddle, I liked him a lot. I had no idea any sort of connection to Utah at all. I found out he went to Utah like when I got here. I didn't even know about it, but I always loved watching him. We just have some similar attributes in the game, I feel like. So it's cool getting to see that and then seeing people online sometimes compare me to him and everything's pretty awesome. Yeah, it is, number eight. So <clears throat> talk Take, take us back to high school. You were an extraordinary athlete your sophomore and junior year, and then COVID hit, and it just kind of fizzled all opportunities for competitive events. So tell us about your junior year, which was extraordinary. You were all world. You were, I mean, there are people on Mars still, che- still <laughs> cheering you on, man. You were amazing. Uh, going into high <clears> school, <throat> I ended up, you know, I did all right my freshman year. I got to start on varsity as a freshman, so that was awesome, but I didn't. I wasn't making a ton of plays. It was more just trying not to mess up. And then sophomore year, I didn't do great still. And then junior year is definitely my biggest jump in my performance. I felt like I was able to really turn into a leader on the field and just be able to make plays as often as I could. And then in the middle of the playoffs, I got my first offer my junior year, so that was awesome. And then they all started to get a few more after that and then played lacrosse that next semester going into it. And then my senior year, I did get a football season, but no lacrosse because I early enrolled. And then really I was more just – I was set on Utah at that point. I'm pretty sure I committed – trying to remember when it was. I think it was in the middle of the season. Let me me tell you, I I read up on it. You committed and you didn't even make a a visit (laughs) to Utah. Tell us about the reputation of the Utes. Why did you choose Utah all the way from Georgia? Really, I mean, Coach Scally reached out to me one day. This was why I was committed to Duke at the time, and I wasn't completely set on Duke. It was more just because COVID was happening, it was a good spot to commit. I knew I liked the coaches there, and but I wasn't 100% set at the time. I just wanted to make sure if anything did happen with COVID, you know, you never know. Like, no one really knew it was going to happen with scholarship numbers and everything like that, and I knew I had a spot. But once Coach Scali reached out to me, I didn't even know about Utah football at all, and then he had sent me some graphics and everything once we started talking, you know, just showing – the amount of NFL talent they produce at the safety position, their just history of Utah in general, and really the coaches, the family aspect of it really helped me make my decision. And I hear it time and time again every time I interview one of you, Utes, the continuity of coaches. that are, there's, It's not hopscotch, and it's not a new coach this year, a new coach next year. It's the family matters, the friendships, the relationships really go deep, and Whittingham Scally, that they're just famous for taking you under their wing as a son, not just as a player, and you become part of the family. So tell us about, you know, do you have friends in, on other teams where you could compare the culture of Utah football to other teams and tell us about that? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of guys who have transferred from places, and most of them say, you know, like during recruitment, everyone tells you that it's like a family, you know, but – like I had mentioned, I was committed to Duke. The day I got to Utah, the guy who would have coached me at Duke left. He, My coach wasn't there anymore. So, oh, wow. And then, you know, Cutcliffe was gone. So just looking back, I'm so glad I did make this decision, you know, because the guys I built relationships with, Coach Scally, Coach Whittingham, all those guys are still here. And uh, 
you know, like Coach Scally, he, uh, Whittingham was his safeties coach and so on. All the coaches, I think almost all the defense coaches played at Utah, and they all have so much family here that you, and they love it here that, you know, that they care about us and definitely aren't going to leave anytime soon, hopefully. Does Coach Witt ever uh, talk about him being all-conference uh, middle linebacker at BYU? So I didn't even know that he went to BYU until middle of last year, probably someone mentioned it, and I thought that was crazy, and then I got the whole story on how he ended up coming here, but he'll mention it every now and then. Towards the beginning of the year, someone did a presentation on all the coaches and where they played, and it was funny. Yeah. They pulled they were putting up the pictures of them in college, and you had to guess who it was, and no one, was, no one guessed Whittingham. I was surprised. He was really good. I remember watching him, and he was just intense with his dad, Fred, you know, an old Raider, and the, the football culture that comes into our coaching staff from their families is pretty pretty impressive. Morgan Scally was a great player here as well, as you know. So um, <clears throat> where, where, do you, where do you link your decision to be a defensive back choosing the most stressful position on the entire team when you could be a receiver, you could be a running back, you had great experience and great stats in high school, and you decided to... Uh, <laughs> To go out there and play one of the center field positions, did you ever play corner first to get a feel for what man coverage is like, or have you always been a safety? So, really, I didn't even run any man coverage that much until I got here. In high school, we were pretty much a based out of cover two team, so coming here, it was kind of new to me. I wasn't great at it at first, and, you know, I still got a lot of work to do, but I've definitely gotten a lot better. Even cover, cover, cover three for the listeners, that's where the safety is, like, on the 10-yard line. He's, like, not even on the game field. Right? <laughs> they stick the center fielder so far back, mm-hmm. there's no one that can get past you. Yeah, exactly. So it was definitely different whenever I first got here. But deciding to play safety really started when I was in eighth grade. I played running back my whole life when I was a kid and linebacker, safety, whatever, you know, just to be as close to the ball as you could be. And then when I got to middle school, I played a little bit of safety and running back, and then I knew that I was too small to play linebacker or running back or anything my freshman year, and I wanted to start as a freshman. So I focused all on my footwork and everything, my knowledge of the defense, trying to learn it. So I got to play safety my freshman year and then fell in love with it. You know, I played a little bit of linebacker my sophomore year of high school and wasn't my favorite thing. But once I ended up going back to safety, I started to fall in love with the game again and just really – because it's such a good mix of being able to – you're not just in the box every play – not being able to run around necessarily. But at safety, you know, you can see everything before the play. You see what's going on. You're in pass coverage and making tackles. You get to blitz. You know, you get to do it all. So because uh, I'm a student of football, I've played a few positions, I watch you a lot. And you're one of the better open field tacklers in the whole Pac-12. I mean, when it's you, mono and mono, <coughs> every time you've come up with, this, with, the, with the, the hit, do you attribute that to – being a linebacker for a short time because it's more, you know, position of head and shoulders and getting down and really facing the ball carrier to make that form tackle versus just flying all over the field as a safety. Sometimes you guys are famous for going for the legs or waiting for them to catch up to you and then just kind of, you know, horse collaring them down, you know, you know, of the stereotype tackles of the DBs, but you you refuse to do that, man. You're, you're like, you bring it every play. So, where did you learn that? How did you how did you subscribe to being more of a linebacker mindset when you're playing safety? Honestly, Coach Scally really helps that out. You know, coming in, I wasn't I was never scared to tackle my whole life. Really, just the technique is such a big part of it. Even if you're not scared, if I run full speed at someone, they can make one move and I'll fall. 
But just Coach Scally teaching us, you know, tracking the near hip, trying to break down before they do so that way you have time to make the decision on which part you're going to go. And always just, you know, he teaches us to shoot for the near hip and then try to wrap their far leg violently so that way because if their legs are tied up, they can't move. So just really Coach Scally and just them teaching us the technique and practicing it pretty much every day of the season really helps out. This podcast episode is brought to you by Strong Automotive. Family, friends, integrity, service before self, and a commitment to excellence in all they do. Thank you so much for being one of the number one fans and supporters of University of Utah football. You said you went to some camps when you were in high school. Did you go to a receiver camp to help you become a better DB, or did you go to a DB camp to help you become a better receiver so you knew the difference in the mindset? I think it was more I was going as a DB, and it helped me as a receiver, but that wasn't the thought process behind it. You know, I just played. I didn't play a ton of receiver in high school. It was more I'd just go in every now and then and we'd throw it. And, uh, but just guarding other people, the better people you guarded, the more you'd see their moves. And that's definitely really helped us here. Coach Scali always says uh, – the better receiver you are will help us become better DBs because when we practice against each other, you know, if we're all just not good at receiver, then we're not getting any better when we're trying to guard each other. So definitely helps out, you know, learning from other people and seeing their releases and whatnot. So when you uh, prepare for a game, what do you look for when you're watching game game film? What what do you want? Do you isolate the, the specific receivers? I know when you prepare, you look at the tendencies, you look at the formations, you see they most likely they're going to throw it here, run a screen there. But what do you do individually to remember that this player number so-and-so, when he lines up here, you, 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 you've got him? How do you prepare? Yeah, uh, you know, like you said, tendencies is a lot of it. You know, we uh, depending on the week. Sometimes you can find anything, like a lineman's heel being up. You know, you can see that that's a pass. And sometimes that works, like, every time. And then mostly I'm guarding tight ends, so just watching their technique when trying to see their – stance necessarily when they're lined up if they're looking their demeanor if they're gonna run a route pass block or run block and just being able to see formations really help too you know certain formations there's such higher tendencies of what route they're gonna run if my guy's lined up outside the hash he's way more likely to come in than if he's inside just things like that helping pick your leverage before you play. And you get that competitive advantage just based on your preparation. Yes, definitely. So, so far in your two-year career, uh, honorable mention, all Pac-12 as a freshman, that's so cool. And uh, who's the best receiver you face so far? Who's the most challenging, you think? That I played against probably – the guy from Ohio State last year, just because of his stat line, you know, Jackson Smith and Jigba, he had a ton of stats, unfortunately. But I was coming off an injury against USC last year, so I didn't play at all, but I was at the game. And watching Drake London, he was pretty legit. And then once we had Clark Phillips guard him, it started to shut him down a little bit. But he he's some of the best of the best. And, I mean, even guys like Devon Vele, watching him in practice every day is awesome. He's great. Yeah, that's good. So you learn from your own players. Yes, definitely. Um so let's talk about your pregame preparation. Do you eat anything special? Do you listen to any favorite music? What do you do the night before a game? If it's a noon game, it changes everything versus a night game. So tell us what you do mentally, physically. 
usually uh, a few of us and Coach Scally, a few of the other coaches, Coach Shaw, Coach Swan, and then just a few of the players will watch film the night before. We'll watch a game, and Coach Scally will go over the calls he's probably going to call. And just being able to visualize yourself making the plays makes it so much easier at the game, you know. Just imagine yourself making that interception, making that tackle so then when it gets there, you've already pictured it a hundred times. So then, you know, after you watch the games and everything, just going up to bed and just, like I said, imagine yourself making plays. Mental imagery really helps. Coach Witt harps it a lot, and it definitely, I I see a advantage with it for sure. Any music you listen to? Michael Phelps, the swimmer, he was famous for jamming at the edge of the pool with his headphones on before he dove in and broke a world record. And yeah, I think he was into rap or hard metal or something. Uh, it kind of depends. Depends on how I'm feeling. You know, sometimes you need to get more amped up, so you listen to some like rap type music. Or sometimes in bigger games when I'm already pretty amped already. I'll listen to more calm music just to keep myself cool and not get too excited for the game, you know, just keep thinking about my job and just stay calm. And Clark Phillips says he listens to gospel music, and I mm-hmm. said, so you look around there, the, the locker room trying to figure out who you can save before <laughs> halftime. <laughs> That's funny. So you just pick it depending on how you're feeling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, most games it's more calm music. There's, it's, I rarely need to get amped up. You know, the games get me pretty excited regardless, so Usually just some sort of, I don't know, I like country music. I listen to that type That's of just good. some sort of calm music to keep your mind on the game and not get too focused I've on everything. <coughs> I've written some country hits. Had I shot you when I met you, I'd be out of jail by now. That's one of my favorites. Okay. My wife ran off with my best friend, and I'm going to miss him dearly. Do you listen to any of my songs? <laughs> <laughs> my junior prom, she inspired, how can I miss you if you won't go away? You know, maybe, <laughs> we, maybe we should get some of those tunes on your playlist. That's funny. So what's your favorite food? Everybody wants to know. Probably steak. It's, I love it. My parents used to always make it whenever I was home, you know. Kind of a picky eater. Ah. It's like my least favorite thing about myself is I'm a really picky eater. So I try to just stick to pretty basic food, really. But try so to you go out things. with the boys and they say, let's get sushi, and you sit in the corner and just drink your water? Yeah, I mean, you got to <laughs> hope they got some sort of something there that I'd like, you know. Usually they have some sort of steak at those places or and something. But Georgia, they call sushi bait. I get it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so uh, how do you equate your, your balance of student and athlete to – to picturing yourself five years down the road. You said, you know, you never know what happens with football, but you're clearly good enough to play on Sunday. You're clear, clearly good enough to go in the draft. What will, uh, what will your life look like when football is over, do you think? Have you ever started thinking about those things? Yeah, definitely. You know, obviously the goal is to play as long as I can, and depending on how long you play, it definitely depends on what you do, you know. So my dream would always be just to play as long as I could and then end up coaching at some point, whether that's depending on how long I played, depending on whether that's high school or college. Just I want to definitely stay around the game or just get into some sort of the business world. You know, like I said, it all depends on how long football goes. So what are you majoring in in school? Communications. And what do you hope to do with that? Definitely it'll just help me, I feel like, getting better, like communicating really, just being able to – work on your people skills and just being able to really do good at whatever job comes, you know? Absolutely. Warren Buffett said you can increase your your, um, value in the marketplace by 50% just by becoming a great communicator. So you're on the right track, man. Yes, sir. So if you were going to be interviewed and 
and we were going to use your interview for recruiting other young men out there in the country to come to Utah, what would what would the, the, your major reasons be for in, encouraging someone to come? Especially on the defensive side of the ball, I mean, it's it's hard not to come, seeing all the statistics of how many guys went to the NFL. I mean, I'm pretty sure the 2019 defense, I think every single player either is in the NFL or was in the NFL at some point, and just seeing stats like that, especially the safety position, there's been so many guys in the past 10 years get drafted and or just picked up overall, and that's just – if that's your goal, the NFL, and you play defense, this is definitely a good spot for you. So when we talk NIL, talk to us a little bit about that because the dilemma is not just recruiting um, three-star, four-star, five-star athletes, but Utah's famous for, for recruiting the three-star athletes and turning them into five-star like you. And so not only are we faced with trying to convince these young men and their families, I say, go after the mom. You know, you recruit the kid and you retain the mom. Oh, yeah. So if we can get them involved in the conversation, we, we, we need to go head-to-head with the Alabamas and the USC's and the Sugar Daddy now in Arizona. But what will be the reason why we can retain superstar athletes like you? T- teach us about the Utah culture coming from Georgia the emphasis on family, the emphasis on community, the emphasis on education, the emphasis on on support. Um, 93%, don't quote me on that, but it's about 93% of college athletes stay in the communities where they played, you know, NCAA sports because you get a chance to, m- to meet the movers and shakers and showcase what a gentleman you are and how classy you are and your commitment to sophisticated elegance and polished professionalism. So what would you recommend, what would you say to a young man and his family on tape, so to speak, to get them to say, wait a minute, Alabama's dangling this sugar daddy, uh, this, this carrot, um, but you should come to Utah even if we're not going to pay you the $19 billion and drive in a Ferrari <laughs> on day one. Why should they come to Utah? Because there's so much more than just money. You come for money, you leave for money. We need loyalty. We need love of the game. We need we need you know that that pride in where you where you hang that that shingle once you graduate that my alma mater is the University of Utah that's got to play into it right yeah for sure the coaches do a great job of explaining the family aspect of it and how important that is you know just because you go to another place and they pay you a lot of money doesn't mean that they care about you. you're going to play there it doesn't mean you're going to start right away and Utah doesn't promise that to anybody really and just like I said, the family aspect, just having coaches who care about you, coaches who call and check up on you, you know, you can have the money, but if you hate football where you're playing and you're just not having a good time, then you're not going to like your experience. And everyone I know, you know, we, everyone likes the coaching staff, you know, it's a, all my teammates are my brothers now. Just being able to have that family aspect definitely helps out. So when you come, <clears throat> and we all want playing time, after you sign your first rookie contract in the NFL, four-year contract we know what what that bones bare bare bones contracts like so you need playing time in order to get your second contract where it's where you make your big money what would you say to an athlete at the University of Utah who's not getting as much playing time as he thought he was going to get does he just enter the the transfer portal and take his ball and go home or is the community is the is is the culture more important than than playing time, than the money, 
you know, you come for money, you leave for money. We need we need loyalty. Teach us about that. Yeah, the coaches are really honest with the players, you know. If they don't see, like, if you come in and you're not performing and they don't suspect you to ever perform well enough, then they'll probably let you know that they don't think you're ever going to play here. And I think that's actually, you know, some people might think that's a bad thing, but I think that's awesome because if you're sitting there waiting for your turn and the coaches are always saying, oh, it's coming, you're going to be playing soon, and then you're just always waiting and then it never comes, it sucks. But if you just have trust in the staff, I think that helps. You know, 2019, I guess I was told, Terrell Burgess didn't start a game until his senior year. And that's wild, you know. People have such different careers. Like, I got fortunate enough to start as a freshman. I am so thankful for that, you know. But even guys, R.J. Hubert, the other safety with me right now, he, I think this is his first year starting pretty much the main starter just because of injuries and everything and just sticking in the program and trusting the coaches to develop you over the years definitely will work out rather than just transferring to somewhere you don't know. So let's dive a little bit into the intangibles. What's more important, skill or heart? Heart, for sure. Why? Because, you know, there's going to be someone out there that has more skill than you always, you know. I can't remember the last time I was the fastest guy on the field, really, and just being like, it's hard even off the field, you know, or heart even off the field, watching film and everything. Just your dedication to the game will show on game day, whether that's, you studying a ton of film and getting a new tendency or you just working out harder than the other guy and being able to get that last push or that that last second of film you watch helping you jump a pass or something like that, you know? Strong Automotive, a leader in customer service, customer focus, and community support. We love you. We honor you. Thank you so much for your unconditional support of Utah student-athletes. Okay, last question, bro. So... As number eight, and as a sophomore, you're obviously a leader on the field. So leadership, does it have to do with age? I mean, do you seem to listen to the seniors more than the sophomores? It doesn't appear that way from, from the stands. What, what's your definition of leadership? What do you think it means to be a leader? And uh, leave us with your message on, uh, on, on leadership. What, what would you encourage every every player in the country to do as far as becoming that leader that we all need to be leading with or without a title. You don't have to have the C, the captain on your jersey to be a leader. Teach us what you're doing. Exactly. Coach, uh, one of our coaches, Coach Scali, always says that leadership doesn't come with a role that you've been given. It comes with, like, trust you've earned. So just because you have the C on your chest doesn't mean you're necessarily a leader. That You might have gotten there, but then if you just stop being that guy, then you lose it all. But I think experience in the program definitely helps guys trust you more and then just being able to them seeing how hard you work off the field too, you know. I'm not the most vocal guy, you know, on the field. Or on the field I'm vocal, but in the locker room I'm not a big rah-rah guy always. But just working hard, you know, seeing who is trying their hardest, running, working out on the field, you know, not giving up, definitely helps guys earn their trust for you to be able to respect your leadership role. Yeah, there you have it. Cole Bishop, in my mind he reminded us that under pressure, you don't rise to the occasion. You fall to your level of training. That's why you train and prep, prepare and practice so hard. What a fine young man. NIL, we're just putting out the red flag now. No longer a white flag. We're, we're playing the game. And anybody that needs a, a, a gentleman, scholar, an athlete, extraordinary leader on and off the field, let's figure out a way to contact Cole Bishop. How do we get a hold of you? Do you have like a... A fan page. 
Uh, not really, you know, just my regular email address, colebishop55 at gmail.com. And what's the 55? Uh, that was the first number I ever wore playing football, and I've just had that email forever. I love it. Number eight, number 55, <laughs> one in your heart. I'm confused, but it's okay. <laughs> Go Utes. Cole Bishop, one of the finest safeties in the Pac-12 this year. He definitely will be first team all Pac-12, maybe All-American with the stature starting to wheel out there. Brother, I appreciate you so much for joining us on our program. Sir, thanks for having me. The views and opinions expressed on the Power Players podcast do not necessarily reflect those of KUTV or Sinclair Broadcast Group.